so you don't have to answer out loud, but just, just wondering, how's, uh, how's life going? And maybe more specifically, like, how is your, how is your spiritual life going? How, how's your spiritual health? Which then transforms your whole life. So I really am asking about your whole life, but starting with your spiritual life, your spiritual health. Now, part of why I'm asking is we have been going through this sanctification series, and sanctification meaning living your life of faith, living this new life, living in the reality of what Jesus has done, what that means for you, and what he's made for you, and what you're now living for. We've been going through this series since the Sunday after Easter. Anyone remember when Easter was this year? Do you remember? When was it? First Sunday in April, which means we are now six months into this series. So we have been talking about living our lives of faith a lot. So how's it going? You know, are, are you feeling pretty good about different parts of it? Are you, are you maybe struggling with other parts? You know, are you growing in some ways? I sure hope so. But I know sometimes when it comes to talking about living our lives of faith, for me it's kind of like, like cleaning the house. You know, like you can make some improvements, but as you do, you tend to uncover messes that you didn't even realize were there. Like, wow, underneath the coffee table, I didn't realize there's a whole pile of goldfish that have been there that someone spilled recently and didn't, or I don't know how recent actually, but they were spilled and didn't realize they were there until I cleaned off the top of the coffee table. You know, things like that, right? You, you start cleaning up, you make some progress, but then as you do, there's some other things that get uncovered or there's other challenges. And so maybe... May, and my hope is that you feel like, okay, I've been growing, but maybe, let's be real, there's some parts that maybe you're feeling, feeling pretty tough. And just sometimes life can just be tough, right? So maybe in our spiritual life we can feel discouraged or maybe sluggish and maybe we're, we're, we're struggling. And so it's good for us to have a lesson like this that takes us back to where it all starts, to how we have spiritual health and how we're able to live our lives of faith. It's good for us to have this lesson considering where we come in this lesson, in, in this series, but also because we're at a transition point because we are coming into the home stretch. There are now, see, one, two, three, four, five weeks left in this series. Five weeks left until we get to the end of the church year. The church year wraps up at the end of November. And we're transitioning now where we're going to look at some characters in Scripture and look at their real-life examples of how God worked in their lives. So then we can better apply to our own lives real-life examples of sanctification, of living our lives of faith. So today we have a lesson that is incredibly helpful for us as we've now journeyed this far, but also now as we begin to transition to this final leg. And this lesson today brings us back to the core of health when it comes to our spiritual lives. The fact that God gives us life from the inside out. The lesson we have, it's Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now these words are part of a prayer that is spoken, that is written by one of the most well-known people and one of the most beloved people in all of history. This man, King David, the man who, when God chose him, is described in 1 Samuel 13, 14, says the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. How would you like to be described that way? Like, if God's going to describe you, you are a person after my heart. Like, that is a way to be described. 
And that's how David was described. He is the man after God's own heart. He's a man who, when he was pretty young, became famous pretty early for the whole David and Goliath situation, right, where he trusted God, and God worked through him to kill the giant Goliath. He's also one who, when you follow his life, so often he, he shows incredible integrity and, and, and faith. I mean, for instance, because after he was appointed to be this, this next king more privately, he, st- he didn't become king right away. There was still this man, Saul, the first king of Israel, and Saul was incredibly jealous of David because David was, God was using David to, to win all these victories, and people are praising God and, and talking about how Saul has, has defeated these thousands, but David has ten thousands, right? So David is defeating all these people. Saul's jealous about it. And so Saul is trying to kill David at different times. He's chasing after David. And God actually allowed there to be a couple different times where David had the opportunity. Like, for instance, Saul's in a cave. David's right behind him. And David gets so close to Saul that he can even cut off the back of his robe. David could have killed Saul and ended the problem, right? But he didn't. Out of respect for the fact that Saul was God's chosen king at that point. And so he showed some incredible integrity at times. And he does then become this king over Israel. He gets this privilege of being the one who leads the march in where they bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is that special, like, hot spot of God's presence. When they bring it in to the city, he dances before the Lord. He he ends up writing all these psalms that are used in worship. He's this this great king, this king who God makes this promise to that there's going to be a descendant of his who's going to be the king that saves the world. Wow. Wow. This man has a resume. And yet it's this man who says this prayer about needing God to give him health from the inside out. He says, create in me a clean heart. What prompts these words? What prompts it is that while David has this great resume, he is overall still a sinful person, but there is an especially terrible event that brings this out. There is this time, and we're told it's actually it's at the time of year when kings go out to battle. So it's a time of year where David should have been focused on war. And I know maybe that seems weird to us to think that there's like a season for war, but we're, we're, it's, it's thousands of years ago they did things a bit differently. And there was a time of year where kings went out to war. And David should have been focused on the battle, but instead he's on the rooftop being distracted by a woman named Bathsheba who was on her rooftop taking a roof, uh, taking a, not taking a roof, taking a bath. He gets distracted by her, has someone bring her to him, he sleeps with her, and, you know, he's thinking this can be on all the quiet and everything except for, ooh, big issue, she's pregnant, now what do you do? How do you hide that? Well, the reason why, also part of why this worked out is because her husband was a soldier, and he was off at battle doing what he was supposed to do. Well, David has this plan. Let's get them, the soldiers back, and we're going to have this guy, Uriah. I'm going to have him come and, and hear feast and, and go and, and, and see your wife. And David's thinking, okay, if he goes back and then he sleeps with his wife, then they can have a baby. Like, she can be pregnant, and it's his baby and not mine, and I can cover it all up, and it's all fine. Except for this guy, Uriah, is like, hey, if my soldiers aren't going home to their families, neither am I. And he doesn't go back. Well, okay, so then David's like, now what do I do? So here's what David did. David talks to the commanders of the armies and says, bring the troops up close to a city wall, have Uriah be at the front of them, and then pull back. What's going to happen to Uriah? 
he gets killed. That's exactly what happens. He has Uriah killed on the field of battle. It's a terrible event. Sleeps with another man's wife, then has the man killed when he couldn't just cover it up. So this happens, and then eventually, this prophet named Nathan, and see, God likes having prophets and Bible speakers be named Nathan or Nate too. See, this is, this is, this, this is the thing. The prophet Nathan comes before him and tells him this story, and if you ever worship on Monday nights, by the way, this is part of our regular confession of sins. We, we, we read these verses. Where the prophet Nathan comes to, to David and he says that there was this man who had this little ewe lamb and he, he, he loved it and it was just like his pet and he slept in his arms. There's this, this treasure to him and then there's this poor, there's this rich man who had a guest come to him and instead of the rich man taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a feast, he takes the pet of the, 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 the poor man and he slaughters that one instead. And David is irate. He's like... This man deserves to die. He should pay for that lamb four times over for what he's done. And then Nathan does this abrupt. You are the man. You did this. And it's after being called out by Nathan in that way. And you can see that the spirit moved in David's heart and convicted him of what he did wrong. It's after Nathan came to David and presented this before him and called him out. Our lesson is the result. Our lesson is his prayer of repentance, where he had gone off in a terribly dangerous, unhealthy, destructive way. And now he is praying to God to give him health, to give him healing from the inside out. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. The word heart, in our language, even, we use it in a variety of ways, in a variety of applications. You talk about, about our heart in, in, in different... It, it, we don't just think of it as like this organ that pumps blood. We, we use it in a variety of ways. Same way in biblical Hebrew, in the, the language that this was written in. In the Old Testament mind, the word heart meant a lot. So let's lean into it a bit. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. 
So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase a broken heart comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life. And there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then, in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now, the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So your heart is really, it's, it's the center basically of your whole life. I mean, it, it's what you think, it's, it's what you feel, it's, it's, it's the physical aspect, but also because it's what you desire and, and how you feel things and everything and where you think, it also directs your choices. It's the core of how you live. And so David, he prays, create in me a, a pure heart, O God, or more literally, carve out. We are in a season of carving out. Right? Where people like to carve pumpkins and things. Um, we, we carved pumpkins some yesterday. Ruthie ran away from the guts of the pumpkin. But she liked the carving part. That part was fun. The inside, not so much. But um, we're in this part where you, know, you, you carve out these the shapes and pictures. And you think about having that whole image. This is the idea with, with our heart. David's prayer and our prayer is, God, carve out a pure heart in me. And the word pure, clean would be another word. That maybe doesn't bring out the meaning of it as much, but have this in mind. When you see these words, remember David is writing these from an Old Testament perspective. The concept of pure or clean is really significant in the Old Testament worldview. Because, remember, there is at the center of the Jewish community is, well, it was the tabernacle, then became the temple, and in the center of that is the most holy place, which is where the presence of God dwelt in this special way. And in order 
to go into God's presence, you need it to be pure or clean. It's not just like for us, oh, we want to have clean hands and not have dirt on them. For them, and then for us as we read the Bible and understand its context, the word pure or the concept of being clean is the ability really then to be in the presence of a perfect, holy, clean God. To be in his clean space. To be able to partner with him and work with him just like the priests did in the Old Testament. David's prayer and our prayer is, God, carve out for me a heart that is clean. A heart that can be in your presence. A heart that is, can be in your presence because it's like your heart. It's a heart that can partner with you. God, create in me, carve out in me a pure heart. Transform me. Give me life from the inside out. Now, as we go forward to this prayer, there are some pictures. Again, in, in, in all of God's Word, there's all these different pictures. But in the psalm, sometimes it seems like it comes out all the more. And in these couple verses, there's some beautiful ones. First of all, he says, renew a steadfast spirit within me. That word renew means polished. It's like polished so that it's brand new. Think of, uh, there was a few years ago, a couple years ago, where I had not been to the dentist in a silly long time. For whatever reason, I just had it gone is what it is. And I went, and uh, as many of you know, I'm a coffee drinker, so I had a coffee stain situation. And i got to give props to um, the dental hygienist down, just down the street. I'm blinking on the name of our, of our, it's the blue one down here. Anyway, I'm giving them props. You drive past it if you come in from the, from the, from the east, and she just polished. My, my teeth are so shiny. They look so good now. She did so great. It's this kind of idea, right? Polishing it clean. A polished clean so it looks brand new. So renew, polished clean to me, a steadfast spirit. And the word steadfast, it means established. So you think of like laying down like a foundation or something up there, where the idea is that it is, it is solid. You can depend on it. It's not going anywhere. This is a steadfast, solid, established spirit. If you're part of this year's small group Bible study, or if you haven't been able to, to, to be part of one, I still encourage you, you can always jump in late. Uh, it's, it's not a problem to jump in a couple months in. We'd love to have you be part of it. Or at the very least, if you want to take a booklet or read it out of the mobile app or the website, you can read it. We're studying the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we're talking about this month especially is that the word spirit literally means moving air or breath or wind. It's this incredible picture for us, and it can really help us understand you know, like when Adam and Eve and God breathed life into Adam and he became a living being, you're able to live when you can breathe. If you stop breathing, you can't live, right? Well, God, the Holy Spirit, when it comes to our spiritual lives, does the same thing. He breathes spiritual life into our lungs, making it so we can live. And here there's this beautiful picture then. Polish in me, make it like new, a firmly established breath. Give me the ability to live to breathe, to go about life in a way that is solid. I don't want a weak, fainting breath or, or struggling breath. Renewing me like it's brand new. An established, solid breath, spirit, ability to live in Christ and to live from God. Renew a steadfast spirit. Give me this new breath. Give me life from the inside out. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. The word presence here, and when you see the word presence in the Old Testament, you can 
Mark this in your, in your own mind. The word presence usually is the word face. Do not take me from your face. Now, why is that important? Because the face of God does not just designate the presence of God, but also the favor of God. Maybe, so think of a, one of the traditional blessings. We call it the ironic blessing. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's where the favor of God emulates, like it, it pours out from God. It's his face shining upon you. David's, pre- he, he's, he's saying here, don't cast me from your presence, but also as you think about it, don't cast me from your face. Your favor, your goodness. Don't cast that. Don't cast me away from that. Don't throw me away from your goodness, Lord. And don't take your breath, your spirit from me. David had God's spirit because David was a believer, but also in the Old Testament, sometimes we'd see these, these special accounts where the spirit of the Lord would come upon someone and enable them to do something really incredible, like Samson. Uh, you think about him and his strength, and the spirit of the Lord would rush upon him, and he'd be able to do all these incredible things. David has been called to be God's king. He says, God, don't take your spirit from me, whether it be for being that king, but also for his life from God. God, don't cast me away from your favor. Don't take your spirit from me. And when you think about this prayer here, and you think about where David has been and what he's done, you can understand why this is his prayer. I mean, Nathan uses such a great picture to help David see what he's done, right? Of a rich man stealing from the poor man and taking, taking advantage of the poor man, just thinking only of himself, not wanting to, 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 to sacrifice anything of his own, own, but just doing what makes him happier at the expense of others. This is what David did, right? Took Bathsheba, killed Uriah. You can see why this is David's prayer. But as we think about David's prayer here, how he's saying, don't cast me from your, your favor, Lord, from your face, God. Don't take your spirit from me. We need to recognize that this is our prayer, too. And you might go, I, I'm never, well, one, I've never been king of Israel, and I've never, you know, arranged for someone to be murdered. And, and no, none of you have in that way. But remember, It took Nathan, the prophet, coming to David, telling him a story, and then saying, you are the man, for him to see his own sin. We need God's law to come before us and to say, you are the man sometimes. Otherwise, we won't see it. I mean, David, maybe he he felt okay about himself because, you know, he had been the one who was described as after God's own heart. You know, maybe he had been trying, he, he, he didn't want to go there because he could try to justify, you know, I have done all this for the Lord. We've been going through a sanctification series, and maybe you're feeling like, hey, I've been working on my faith, and I'm doing pretty well. But, you know, we also have Psalms that talk about David feeling terrible inside. You could try to convince yourself you're doing pretty well, but also feel awful. And maybe sometimes while we have this rub in our lives as while we can feel pretty good about a lot of what we do, there's a part of us that knows that there's things that we haven't done right. And so we need, we need God's law before us to point out any ways where God would say, you are the man. Are there any ways where you have done something that makes you feel better, that is easier for you, with a total disregard for the well-being of other people? without caring about other people, but just doing what feels good to you and what makes you happier. 
There might be some ways where people do this, where we do this today, that is, is more similar to David's. You know, we live in a day where you can, you can pull open your phone and you can watch videos of all sorts. That in those videos, those people are, it's damaging to them. Varieties of types of videos. And we can watch it for entertainment and for us to feel good. And we're just taking advantage of their suffering for our own pleasure. We could do that. It's very easy. Phones, tablets, computers, TVs, whatever. So there's some ways that are pretty clearly connected there. But there might be other ways where, you know, isn't it amazing? Isn't it? It's like a pastime of people that when we get together, we have coffee, we have a beer, whatever, and we just talk about others. You know? And as you're talking about others, can you believe this person who said this? Can you believe this person who did this? Or this, can you believe this leader or this whatever? It's so natural for us to just tear down other people at our own, to make us feel better. We just do it. You know, or how many times do we just not even think about the well-being of others, but we always just want to think about mine. How do I get what makes me happy? How do I get my spot? How do I make sure I don't miss out? And we just don't even think about other people. We, we do this. We are naturally selfish people who do what helps us feel better at the expense of others. Which is why we need this prayer too. And why we need to say this prayer so then we can embrace the new life that God has given us. The new life that starts by recognizing that there's someone who was cast away from God's presence for us. That there was someone who experienced the justice of God for us. That we have a Savior who hung on a cross, and on that cross, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you cast me off? Why was he cast off? To take the justice for every time we've ever, ever done something wrong. We know there needs to be justice, right? Just like Nathan, or excuse me, David, when Nathan told the whole story about the ewe lamb, and David's response was what? This guy deserves to die. He needs to pay four times over. That's the natural response when you hear about an injustice like that. We know there needs to be justice, and here it is met on the cross. Every wrong thing that's ever been done, the justice is paid for it there. The guilt has been unleashed there. He took it. So that you and I don't have to carry guilt, don't have to carry shame, don't have to feel like we got to pay something off before God. We don't have to beat ourselves up and say, all that it was already accomplished and done there. So that now we can look to God knowing because Jesus was cast off, because Jesus died, I don't have to. We can look to God and say, God, make me new. Polish me clean. Polish me clean and, 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 and establish me with a new spirit, with a new life, a new ability to really live. God, I know that because Jesus was cast off for me, you're not going to cast me off from your presence, from your face. We can know today that God is not taking his Holy Spirit from us. But you can look to him and know that he is polishing you clean. He is establishing a new spirit in you. He is making his face shine upon you. And his Holy Spirit is here in you today to make you new. 
from the inside out. God's Spirit is among you today, working in you today, to transform you from the inside out. So that you and I, we can join with David and we can say, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Again, there's some cool pictures going on in these words. First of all, just one. I'm going to jump to the second word that's underlined. The word salvation. Here's this really amazing thing. Is the word salvation in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is basically the word Yeshua. You know what Yeshua is? Jesus. Jesus' name is basically, it's Yahweh saves, Yahweh's salvation. The word is, 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 it's very similar to Jesus' name. Now, David, did he know that the Savior's name was going to be Yeshua? Probably not, but you and I as New Testament Christians have this beauty that when we look back and we see the word salvation, we get to see with it Jesus. And that Jesus is our salvation. This is where it starts. This prayer for us can be restoring me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of Jesus. Of what he has done and who he is and what that means. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. These two words, joy and willing, I have one picture that I put up here to kind of, as I was praying about this and thinking about this week, helped me understand it. Earlier this week, it was pretty wet, right? Rainy a lot, pretty damp, dreary even. It felt very dreary and gloomy to me. I don't know about you, maybe you like rainy days, but it just felt gloomy earlier this week. But then when the sun came out one of the afternoons, this is a picture from my front door. The sun came out and became bright outside. And my immediate desire was to go out into the sun. Because, you know, after it's gloomy and it's cloudy, when the sun comes out, doesn't it just feel amazing to step into the brightness of the sun? The word joy here literally means bright. The word willing and willing spirit, it means freely offered. When the sun comes out and the brightness of sun is shining through from the sky, you don't have to tell me, Nate, you should go outside. I want to go out into the sun and live in the sun and, and soak up that sun. This is the idea here. We're saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation, the brightness of Jesus, so that I can step out and live. Our prayer to God and your prayer to God each and every day is, God, restore to me the brightness of the sun, the sun Jesus, and a spirit that steps out into that, who wants to live like I am new because I am new, to live without guilt, without shame, to live not trying to do it on my own or trying to find peace and joy on my own, to live with the life that he has given. Every day our prayer gets to be restored to me the brightness of Jesus and a willing spirit so I can live in the light of the sun and I can live in the freedom, the salvation of Jesus. That I can live new from the inside out. Throughout this last six months or so, we've been talking a lot about the various ways of, and aspects to living our lives of faith and my prayer, again, is that you've been growing in different ways, also recognizing that there are some ways where maybe you've uncovered some messes, been challenges. Life is just challenging, and we can focus on how we're going to try to be better and do better and, and all these different things. But when it comes to spiritual life, it doesn't start with those attempts to be better. It starts 
by a God who carves out a new heart in us. A God who gives us a heart like his, that desires, that feels, that wants what he wants. It starts by God making us pure and and, and clean, by him giving us a, 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 a polished new spirit established in him, it starts by recognizing that, that, that we have a Savior who was cast off for us so that we don't have to be cast off, that his face is shining on us, that his spirit is here with us. It starts there and then flows to us stepping out into the brightness of the day, embracing what life is in Christ, that we are living not for this day, but for an eternity with God the way it's meant to. That we are living today not for ourselves, but according to his plan and his purpose. That today, today has a meaning. Today has a significance. And today, we get to be free from just living for ourselves, but rather free to live loving God and loving others. It starts with that new heart, and it flows out as we step into the brightness of the day. God gives us a new life from the inside out.